They're not going to catch us. We're on a mission from God. Hellwood. Forget it. No way. We're on a mission from God. Ma'am, would it make you feel any better if you knew that what we're asking Matt here to do is a holy thing? You see, we're on a mission from God. Oh, yeah? Well, me and the Lord, we got an understanding. We're on a mission from God. We're on a mission from God. You ever felt like when they're spinning around in the car and he's like, Elwood! Have you ever felt like you wanted to say that to the person who introduced you to Christ? I have. Because I didn't know what I was getting into, and this mission from God business is a little crazier than we might have expected. It's a little more costly than we expected. And there are times, I just want to grab the kid but that introduced me to Christ by the face and, Are you kidding me? Because this whole mission from God thing is so big, and it's so surprising, and it is not boring. And so this morning, you know, as we finish up this series... Um, I'm one who loves to, uh, loving, you know, film and story and all that different stuff. I love to imagine conversations at different points in history. And one of the, one of my, one of my favorite authors, he talks about this imaginary conversation that goes on between Jesus and the angels. As Jesus is ascending, so he's already died, he's raised from the dead, he's hung out for about 50 days, and, and then he ascends to heaven, and so the author describes this moment of this imaginary conversation between the angels and Jesus. And as Jesus is ascending, the angels are like, Jesus, this is it. Let's go tell the world how you conquered death and darkness. Let's go tell everybody what's going on. And Jesus is like, hold on. And the angels are like, what? This is it. We have been waiting for this moment. Let's go tell the world about all that you have done. Well, see, there's another plan involved. And the angels are like, what? What plan? What are you talking about? Another plan? We're the messengers. We should be going and we should be announcing. And Jesus says, as he's rising from the earth, and the disciples are getting smaller and smaller and smaller, they're going to do it. The angels flip. They're like, do you know what these people do? You know you got a tax gatherer, a fisherman. You can, you can trust these guys? Jesus says to them, there's no other plan. The angels are like, are you sure about this? Jesus says, they're going to be the ones who go and tell the world everything they've seen and heard. It's on them. There's no plan B. I love that story. I love the conversation because the, the, the angel's response to Jesus is like, those people are not the qualified ones to do this. And Jesus is like, exactly. So can you see why in spinning around in the car at this moment, you're shouting at the person who introduced you to Christ? Are you serious? This is crazy. And during our first week in our series, we looked at the shift that has to happen in our hearts when it comes to the people of God, when it comes to the church. And very simply, that shift is a very difficult one to make, but through Christ and what he's done, it's possible. But it's no longer seeing the church in each other as consumers. That's what we do. It's our natural bend. We consume and we can look at each other as a commodity or a product and when we're done, we move on. And we have to shift from that because that's not how family operates. And the body of Christ is the family of God, not a commodity that's bought, sold, and to be done with. 
And so shifting from that consumer mentality to a family mentality. And then last week we talked about being sent. It's not just this program that I do one and a half hours a week or on a Saturday go and volunteer something, volunteer or whatever. Being sent is not a program. It's this posture of service, of humility, of unity that we take that is displayed in Christ. Christ is the reason we take this posture, because he himself took it. And we looked at Philippians, and I want to encourage you, go look at Philippians 1 and 2 and see the posture that Christ himself took, and we're to do the same. So it's not a program, but a posture of the heart. And, I, and really, that this whole sentness, it matters how we go. It, it, it matters if we don't take this posture that Christ took, then we proclaim a gospel that is not the gospel. And this week, just I'd love to spend a few moments looking at the unexpectedness of Jesus. I love that Jesus is continually flipping people from what they thought about life and faith and even themselves. Jesus is constantly turning things upside down. He caused the religious leaders to scratch their heads in fury. He caused the disciples to go, what in the world? We're the guys closest to him. We don't even understand what he's saying. He caused the crowd to walk away going, huh? I love that about Jesus. I love that there were times that Jesus would tell people exactly what they needed to hear, and then he would explain it. And then there were other times people would walk away arguing over what Jesus meant. I love that about the way Jesus lived among people. And he caused people to have to look at things differently. A, kick, a kingdom view of life, if you will. And in John chapter 20, we see the disciples hidden behind locked doors. For good reason. I mean, Jesus was with them, and now Jesus is dead. And they've locked the doors, and they're hiding. I mean, probably for good reason, thinking they killed Jesus. We might be next on that hit list. We could, be, we could be going down, so let's lock ourselves, let's put little chairs behind the doors, and hopefully barricade ourselves in and hide. And this is the description of the encounter we see in John twenty nineteen. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. We'll talk about these these words, because I know some of us can be going, what? That sounds strange. Well, there's, there's reason for Jesus' words. And so in this timeline, Jesus has predicted that the disciples are going to betray him, that, that they're going to leave him, that they're going to be alone, and that Jesus, you know, when the soldiers come in the garden, Jesus, like the, sold, the, the disciples spread out and they run and they're scattered. And so all of this has been predicted by Jesus. It's not a surprise to Jesus where these men are hiding. Now, I know for, for many of us, we tell those, I did not expect that stories. We do. I mean, we're good at repeating, I didn't expect that stories. You can think of them right now in your head. When you would say, when you have said, you've looked at somebody and been like, I did not, I was not prepared for that. And you, we use those phrases. And I remember when uh, my wife and I, she, well, it's not, well, whenever we say we're pregnant, we're not pregnant. I'm not pregnant. My wife, when she was pregnant with our fourth child, we have three boys, 
And we were at a place where we were like, I, I just think we make boys. That's what we do. And I uh, remember Brittany, who uh, we'll talk about her in just a moment. That ex- the, the balloons and the lays back there, that you, we'll, we'll talk about that. But Brittany used to look at us and be like, I so wish y'all would have a girl. Y'all need a girl. Y'all need a girl. And I'm sitting here going through all this in my brain. I'm sitting there going, I have clothing for boys. I have rooms for boys. We don't have room to add a girl. We have boys stuff. I know how to wrestle my boys into submission. I don't know how to raise a little girl. I don't know anything about little girls. I have, so basically what she was saying was, I want your life to get tougher. That's really what she was saying when she would say, I want you to have girls. So when we went to the ultrasound, we went the first time and we were like, oh, it's going to be a boy. They couldn't tell us because she was sitting with her legs crossed. I should have known at that moment. We went back twice. Couldn't see. You're like, she's just not moving. She's not budging at all. And she's, I mean, she's running around in there, but she's not going to let you know. And on the third time, we were like, they were like, yep. There it is. It's a girl. And I remember the feeling of crud. <laughs> I don't know what to do with it. What am I? How do I? And I mean, it's been the, one of the greatest experiences of our life. She is a fireball. She's at three years old right now. She has changed the game. She did change the game for me. But it was those moments of I was super surprised. I did not expect that. And I think we all know how to communicate. I did not expect And really what we're seeing in this picture is that story on steroids. It's with these disciples who are hiding. They're at a place where they are probably wrestling with failure, guilt, shame. I wish I would have done this differently. All of those thoughts hiding behind closed doors. These at one time brave disciples who were sent out to do all these great works, coming back, bragging about all they'd done, telling their families all of this stuff. Now they are hiding, probably hearing from their family members, we told you so. We told you he wasn't anybody to worry about. We told you that he wasn't who he said he was. We told you, and they're just sitting in this room, probably going, what do we do? Afraid, fearful, thinking of failure, and then the unexpected. And this is why I love how Jesus does things. Jesus didn't on the door. There wasn't a secret knock where Jesus was like, hey, you guys mind if I come in? Jesus just shows up. I mean, if you're you're a good detail person, you notice he doesn't open the door. He just shows up. He just like, boom, I'm in the room. I didn't ask to come in. I love that about Jesus. And he's standing there among them, and everything changes in a moment. And I know that for us, we have to hear these words constantly. But in verse 19, I'll just read these words again. Peace be with you. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Jesus knew exactly what they needed and exactly what they didn't expect. The disciples expected one thing, and they heard and saw another. The words he said to them were not, guys, really, I've been gone three days, 
and you're already planning life without me, without all the things I said. He didn't come in and go, dummies, now don't you get it? I told you. He doesn't do any of the stuff that we naturally do. I do that. I told you to my kids way too quickly, and I shouldn't do that. But I know that's how we're wired. We, wanna, we, want, we want people to know we were right. It's part of our condition. It's a gross condition. It's what we do. And in Jesus' opposite of his treating of the disciples, they got stuff that they did not expect, but the result was joy. Not only is Jesus our peace, but where he is and where he is at, we are whole. We talk about peace in the biblical sense. is not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of wholeness, being complete, lacking nothing. So not only does Jesus' life, death, and resurrection purchase us peace with God, that is where our hearts and our, our, who we are is no longer at war with God, but Jesus' life, death, and resurrection pays for that for us, so we now have peace with God. That's a result of knowing him, but not just the absence of conflict, but being made whole. That means the things that we're trying to fill ourselves up with, trying to take in to complete us in some way, form or fashion, no longer, we don't have to go there because we know what Jesus has done. He has made us complete. We are lacking nothing. So where Jesus is, the peace of God is. Meaning, we're not at conflict, but we have everything we need, lacking absolutely nothing. Jesus knew they felt that they didn't deserve this peace. But it was found. Not only did they hear what they needed to hear, but did you see that they, need, they needed to see Jesus' wounds? So they heard, peace be with you, and then Jesus shows them his wounds. He shows them what he's done. He shows them that it's him. He shows them all that they need to see. And they see him. He came to them. He found them. No locked door is going to keep him out. No failure, no past mistakes, no doubts of themselves could keep Jesus from standing among them. This truly is a picture of why we do this gathering thing. A fearful, forgetful, worried bunch of individuals coming together so that we can hear, peace be with you, and see Jesus' wounds. This is why we gather. This is why we come to a place where Jesus is going to be treasured most, where the display of his cross and everything that he has done is what we need to both hear. We need to hear it is finished. We need to hear that he has paid the price. We need to hear that there is, there is hope and forgiveness found in all that Jesus has done. And we can't earn it, work for it, deserve it, but he gives it. And he doesn't ask to go, you know what, maybe I should. No, he just shows up. And we rejoice. That's the result of seeing and hearing what Jesus has done. It's a rejoicing because we know we did not deserve it. Again, we become storytellers of the things we did not expect. That's what I believe that the mission, the church, really gets to do. We simply get to tell stories of things we did not expect to happen, happened. My life was out of control. I'm doing this X, Y, and Z, living for myself, thinking that God wants to crush me, but the reality is God's doing everything in his power to save me, and ultimately, he put Jesus in the place where I deserve to be, and he gave me new life. I did not expect that. That's the greatest I did not expect that story that we can tell, and it's the one we're sent to tell. 
That's what the disciples are invited to do. That's what we're invited to do. I love how Jesus, it's just that seeing and hearing him, we are reminded of all that we did not expect to see or hear. Jesus calls the disciples just after he says, peace be with you, shows them his hands, he repeats himself. And a good Bible study technique is anytime Jesus repeats himself or you see a phrase repeated, you're supposed to pay attention. You are supposed to go, wow, this is said more than once. This is probably a big deal. But the second time we see Jesus say, peace be with you, there's something attached to it. And it's something they did not expect. In John 20, in John 20 verse 21, again he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I am so glad. And I'm assuming you guys could, could feel this too. And I'm sure the disciples are probably really glad that Jesus said, peace be with you. Showed them who he was. Spoke to them. Then he said, peace be with you. Now I'm sending you. Notice it wasn't peace be with you. Get out of here. It was peace be with you. You need to see that it's me. Now, peace be with you. Go on. I love the pattern that we see in Scripture. Because if Jesus had said, peace be with you, now go, the disciples would have been like, uh-uh. Don't send me out there. Why? I don't need, I don't know. I'm afraid. But we see Jesus, he meets them. Peace be with you. Shows them who he is. Then he says it again with the greatest invitation a person's ears and heart could ever hear. As I was sent by the Father... So I am sending you. Now go. You know, we take this task seriously because it is reflective of Jesus. Jesus tells us why we are sent, because he was sent. God did not sit back. God moved. Jesus pursued us. Jesus crossed borders and boundaries of every kind to reach to us. And I told you about those balloons and the lays back there. Um, uh, to this day... Last year, March 6th, we unexpectedly buried a staff member. Brittany Hensley grew up in the youth group that Doreen and I were at in Nashville, Tennessee. We met her as a ninth grader. What was incredible about this ninth grade girl was that God was already at work. We, didn't, we had nothing to do with it. We were there. We were available. We talked with her. But God was stirring her in a life that was really going to be about others more than anyone I think I've ever seen or known. And what was interesting about this journey with her was she, she was in ninth grade and she had a heart for her campus. She loved her, the students that she was around. She wanted them to know who Christ was. Um, when she graduated, she asked if she could move to Asheville with us when we had come to Asheville to be a part of this gathering that we're now a part of. And then she felt like the Lord might be calling her to go overseas. And so she, she went overseas and served people in other countries. But then she's like, I feel like Asheville's where I'm supposed to be. Comes back to Asheville and begins working with Elevate starts an after-school program that Elevate is still in the process of seeing growing and loving and there's vans now picking kids up and this vision that she really had to reach people and love people and pursue people. Brittany's life was cut short at 27 years old but Brittany understood what it meant to live this kind of sentness with every breath. And as me and her parents were going through some of her belongings, I found a, a, a journal of hers from 2009. 
And I'm telling you guys, if there are people that you look at and you respect and you read and you, you long to know what makes them tick, you know, like we have My Utmost for His Highest and Oswald Chambers and all these different devotionals that Christians love to do. But when I found this and as I began to read through, this is 2009. As I began to read some of the words from here, which was mainly scripture repetition and prayers, I was blown away because I saw God answering prayers that she had prayed. Listen to her prayers. May my schedule be yours alone. Each minute you have numbered my days. My relationship, may my relationships be full of you, full of you, Jesus. God, you pursue me like no other. You are beautiful like no other. You captivate my heart like no other. Nothing, absolutely nothing compares to you. May I be foolish enough to come and commit myself to what you say. Jesus, may I let go of everything and deliberately commit it all to you. Jesus, please continue leading me to new territory. Sift the fear that lives in my heart. May my hope be in your steadfast love. Your delight is not in man's strength. You delight in those who delight in you. Brittany heard, peace be with you. And her response was one of treasuring Christ above all things. And what we saw and experienced through a relationship with Brittany was that she was a pursuer of hearts. She mirrored the gospel because she believed the gospel. She believed that Christ showed up, spoke to her words that she did not deserve to hear, and she went to tell the rest of the world what they should be excited that they, they get to hear these words now too. And it wasn't because she joined a program, it was because she just lived a life that said, he is enough. Brittany had a love for this church. She had a love to pray, quoting scripture, like I said, all the time, writing notes. She would write notes to people that were so scripture-based. It was just like, I wanted to give you this scripture. I wanted to give you this scripture. I wanted to give you this scripture. Why? Because we need to hear the truth from the word of God. Because we are forgetful, fearful, doubtful warriors. And it's when we hear his word, we know peace be with you. See, lack of interest or concern for Jesus' mission is not stirred by me giving more compelling statistics, giving you a handbook on how to do it, or read this blog. This concern for this sentness that we are invited into is stirred by treasuring Christ. It's stirred by seeing him for who he is and knowing what he has said to us as his followers. Now here's the thing. Does this peace be with you mean I'll have to go somewhere? It might. Does it mean I'll have to cross the sea? It might. Does it mean I'll have to go over to get training or I'll have to go to school or I'll have to do these things so that I can be sent? It might. 
We see it in the disciples. Jesus called them out of what they knew into places that they had never been, and they followed him. And to those of you in this room that he might be saying, it's time for you to get up and go, and you know it, Jesus says, peace be with you. But he doesn't always send us to go. Sometimes he sends us to stay, which can almost be more difficult. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus has just healed a demon-possessed man, and this is what we see is Jesus boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no. Jesus said, no. Go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Treasuring Christ, your go could be to stay. My street, my home, my children, my friends, my work, my play, my everything. Yeah, Jesus says to you, peace be with you. The call to go, the call to stay, it's all in being sent. It's us listening and trusting that Jesus is enough. And aside from this time, there's another time that we see God breathing. And it's in Genesis 2. God breathes life into man. He breathes it into his nostrils and life begins. And in this picture with the disciples, we see Jesus breathe on the disciples. So not only does God's breath bring life, it actually resurrects life. It brings new life. Recreation is, being ha- is happening right here. Just as God breathed purpose and life and value and mission into Adam and Eve, been being with him, Jesus breathing on the disciples fills them up. And what do they do? Do they walk around like this? <gasps> Nobody talk! Jesus breathed on us! <gasps> Nobody talk! Nobody talk! Okay, <sighs> I lost Jesus' breath. <sighs> Where did it go? Where did Jesus' breath go? Uh, uh. No, they didn't do that. The amazing thing about Jesus breathing on the disciples is that as he breathes out, you and I breathe in, and we go in turn, step out those doors, and breathe out Jesus' words, his prayers, his hands, his feet. And when we come stumbling back in to his presence, confused, doubtful, hurt sinners, he says, peace be with you. As I was sent, I am sending you. Jesus breathes out. We breathe in. We go out the doors. We breathe out his words, his compassion, his service, his story, his life. And when we come stumbling back in, doubtful, fearful, Worried, sinners, Jesus says, peace be with you. As I was sent, I'm sending you. And he breathes and we breathe in. Do you see what's happening? Continual. It doesn't stop. We don't need you and I also, and just in case you're wondering about the forgiveness thing that Jesus says, 
Forgiveness is part of the gospel announcement. If forgiveness is not mentioned in the gospel announcement, it's not gospel. It's that simple. If you're talking about the gospel, if you're talking about the cross, if you're talking about Jesus and forgiveness isn't mentioned, you have not mentioned the gospel. So wherever that is announced, forgiveness is proclaimed. And forgiveness is found in the cross of Christ. And if you're looking for it in your idols, you're not going to find it. Idols don't deal with the root of sin in our hearts. Idols don't deal with any of those things. And so when we proclaim what Jesus has done, forgiveness of sin, ending the conflict with God because of what he has done on the cross is just part of gospel territory. So when you're saying, I get to forgive people, that's a lot of power. No, if you're sharing the gospel, if gospel is in your life, you're going to declare what you did not expect. And did you expect to be forgiven? Most of us in this room would honestly say no. If you're honest with yourself and your past and all the things that you want to pile up against yourself, you're going to be a pretty hard critic on yourself. You go, I don't deserve forgiveness, but what I was shown was mercy, compassion, grace, and forgiveness in the cross. Forgiveness comes with gospel territory. It's part of the announcement. And so as we close this morning, as the band comes and we, we finish, you know, many of us, if you've got a church background, have heard the story of Isaiah. You've heard the story of Isaiah and the prophet that he was called to be in the Old Testament. And there are some who suggest that the reason Isaiah remembers his encounter with the Lord in Isaiah 6 is because King Uzziah was a friend of his. And so in these moments of, of King Uzziah, that says in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So Isaiah potentially is mourning and weeping the loss of a dear friend. And there's this possibility that he, he, he was in this moment of just sorrow. And what we see happen is the Lord comes and meets him, shows up behind locked doors, doesn't ask for a, can I come in? No, he just shows up and says, I'm here. What does Isaiah do? Isaiah says, I am a man with unclean lips and I live among people who are, have unclean lips. And what does the Lord do? He meets him unexpectedly, touches his lips, purifies him, makes him clean. And Isaiah, baffled, and I believe God did this on purpose, Isaiah overhears the Lord talking to himself, <laughs> which I love. Hmm, who's going to go tell our message to the world? Who's going to go and speak of the things that we need the world to know? Who's going to be that guy? And Isaiah's probably standing there, my face still burning from the coal, my lips being touched, me being made righteous and pure. And well, Wait a minute. I'll go. I should tell these folks. I should be the one who makes the journey and crosses borders and boundaries and all sorts of things and tells the people of how great the wonderful news of God is. I want to be that guy. You see, we don't live from a place of, I'm going to be that guy so that God can forgive me. We live from the place of God has forgiven us. We've received what we did not expect. I can't believe I've got this. This is where we live. This is how we live. This is how we go. Howard Snyder says it this way. Church people think about how to get people into the church. Kingdom people think about how to get the church into the world. Church people are kingdom people. 
Jesus is describing kingdom people. We don't just do things, our church stuff here. We are the church. We're the people sent by God to proclaim of all that we did not expect. It's an exciting invitation. It will cause you to yell at the person who introduced you to the invitation because you did not expect all that has come with it. But in Jesus' breathing out, we find the new way of living that he invited us to. And so this morning we close this service. Um, We don't have anyone signed up for this service for baptism. We have several in the next. Part of the reason we baptize is because we see Jesus. Obviously, he was obedient to it, and he did it. He displayed it. But when the, the gospel was presented and people were like, I don't know what to do with this, Peter responds, well, repent, believe it, and be baptized. And baptism isn't the thing that seals the deal in salvation. It's not the thing plus salvation and now you're saved. It's actually the declaration of, I have been given what I did not expect. And that is in new life, new breath, vision, purpose. Everything is summed up in Jesus on the cross. And so I want to go into that water and I want to let people know that that's what's happened. And as you walk that water, you're dunked, you're buried symbolically with Christ, but you are raised a new life. That's what we want to proclaim. We don't proclaim, I'm dead. You know that? Which I think most Christians do. Most Christ followers are really good at saying, I gave up X, Y, and Z. Now all I got was Jesus. Come on, seriously. The reality is what we traded, the lesser, we get the greater. This is the power of the gospel. Baptism declares that to the world. And so this morning, I know you may not have come ready to be baptized. You may not have come with a change of clothes. Well, we've got you covered. I'll be standing over here as I do every Sunday. We'll have some elders and some gel leaders standing over there as we do every Sunday. If you'd like to be prayed for, if you're like, I don't know what I need, but I need somebody to pray for me. They're available. You don't even have to tell them what's up, but they'll pray. But if you're at a place where you're like, I think I I believe this gospel and I want to be baptized. There are clothes to change into, bags from small all the way to extra large. We have everything you need, boxers included. (laughs) But if that's you and you're like, I'm ready, we want to invite you to it. There'll be time for you to change. But we are a people who are sent to tell the world that we have received something we did not expect. Father, we love you, and I ask that in these moments you'd be glorified and honored by not just our lips, but by our hearts. And as we learn to treasure Christ more, that we would see the beauty of Christ and all that he has done, and that we would be a people who live sent. It's in your name we pray.